And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse number 11. Look there, 1 John 5, in verse number 11. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. Aren't you glad that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ Lord? God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. It's not in a religion. It's not in a church. It's not in a set of good deeds or a baptismal certificate or a sacrament or a ritual. It's in His Son. He that hath the Son, verse 12, hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Simple as that. If you have Jesus Christ, you're saved. If you don't, you're not. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may no, that reason, purpose, statement. Why did God give us the Bible? Specifically, the book of 1 John, we can, we, we can make this a more general statement. The reason God wrote these things in his word is so that we can know we have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we're talking about the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of eternal security this morning, studying that in the context of witnessing, being able to articulate this truth and discuss this truth and show someone this truth from the Bible. We'll back up real quick and review what we covered last week to kind of lead us into our topic for this morning. Because one of the things we have to be ready to address when we're witnessing and we encounter people who claim to be Christians but have no idea what biblical salvation is and have certainly never experienced it, you're going to run into a lot of those people. They maybe go to church and they're not Muslims and they're not Hindus and they're not Buddhists, so they say they're Christians, but they're not saved. They don't know how to be saved. They've never been saved. And they have this idea that the way to get to heaven is by being good, by being nice, by being kind, by not being an atheist or a murderer or a thief or a criminal or something like that. They have no concept of what the Bible teaches, and that is that salvation has absolutely nothing to do with anything we can do by grace, through faith, and without works. We've got to be able to show people that and explain that to people just as best we can. The Holy Spirit's got to open their eyes and uh, give them the understanding, but we need to be able to take the scripture and articulate those truths. The, the fact is that every other religion in the world teaches some system of salvation by works, and many, sadly, even many who come under the name of Christianity, they're not trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. They're trusting baptism or trusting church membership or trusting some sacrament or their overall goodness as their hope of getting to heaven. And, and anybody who's trusting in themselves and what they've done, instead of trusting 100% what Jesus did, there's no way they can know that they're saved. That's why I ask people if they're going to heaven, and they'll say, I hope so, because if it's based on you, hope is the best that you've got. You understand? The Bible, though, says that you can know you have eternal life, and the only way to know you have eternal life, like the Bible says you can, is if eternal life is based on something that's already been accomplished. And that's what biblical salvation is. It's based on something that's already been 
accomplished. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again. The only thing you and I have to do is the only thing we can do, and that's trust in him and call on him. And the Bible says if you'll do that, you're assured, you're certain that your sins are forgiven, you're a child of God, you've got a home in heaven. Now, that issue leads into this issue that we also need to be able to address from the Bible, and that is eternal security. That, that phrase never occurs in the Bible, but the teaching, the concept, the truth certainly does, and it goes hand, by hand, hand in hand with salvation by grace. If you're saved by grace, you can know you're saved. If you're saved by works, you can't know that you've ever done enough or that you'll keep doing what it takes. If you have to keep it, then it's by works. If it's by works, then you have to keep it. These, these two are just related. And what I want to do this morning is give you some Bible verses and Bible teaching on the topic of eternal security to help you have this conversation with somebody that you're witnessing to because it's a topic that does come up. Eternal security is the only way to know you have eternal life. Salvation by grace and eternal security, the only way to know you have eternal life. Now, come with me to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. The Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The purpose of the law is not to provide a plan of salvation. You don't get saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, especially if you can't name them. I've had people tell me they're getting saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. I ask them to name them. They can get about two, maybe three. It's going to be tough to keep them if you don't know what they are. That's not why God gave them. Now, he does, he does expect people to make them the guidelines for their lives. God did not intend for us to break them, but he knew that we would. And he gave his law to teach us that we are sinners. And not just that we are sinners, but how dirty, rotten sinners we are. That the offense might abound. The law entered, verse 20. But where sin abounded, praise the Lord, grace did much more abound. There is no sin outside the reach of God's Grace. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There's no sinner who cannot be saved. Praise the Lord. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That a sinner reigned unto death, even as might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If you're saved by grace and God has enough grace to save you from any sin you commit, what's to keep you from committing all the sin that you can? That's the question that the Holy Spirit anticipated when he authored the book of Romans. And that's the question that people ask when we show them from the Bible that salvation is by grace and not by works. Their, their automatic response is, are you telling me I can just go and live any way that I want to? Isn't it wonderful how the Holy Spirit anticipates the objections that would be raised against the truth of the Bible? It, it asks and gives the answer to the question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse number two, 
God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The very question is evidence that the person asking the question has never experienced the life-changing, saving power of the grace of God. A, A genuine, biblical understanding of the grace that saves is not the kind of grace that leads you into a life of sin. It's the kind of grace that brings you out of a life of sin. Viewing the saving grace of God as a reason to sin argues that one has never personally experienced that saving grace for themselves and the transformation that it makes upon a life. When God saves you by his grace, it leaves you different. It gives you power to pursue a new path in your life. It doesn't give you the desire to sin. It gives you a brand new desire to do what is right and pleasing to God. Look at Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2. Scripture invalidates this argument that is raised against the idea of salvation by grace and of eternal security. If, if nothing you do can change the fact that you're saved, then hey, go live it up. Do what feels good. Follow your flesh. Follow your heart. Be like the world. That, that is horrible thinking. That's the way a lost person thinks. It's not the way a saved person thinks. Titus chapter 2 verse Number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Anybody and everybody can be saved by the grace of God. Verse 12, the grace that saves doesn't stop operating the moment somebody bows their head and and, and calls on Jesus Christ for salvation. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world. What is that a result of? That is the, 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 the sober life, the righteous life, the godly life, the denying worldly lusts life is a result of the influence of the grace of God. Okay? So it's a complete misunderstanding to think that eternal security means I can just go and do anything I want and live any way I want. Yes, yes, the grace of God will give you a desire to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. The grace of God will give you the power to do what pleases God, not what fulfills the lusts of the flesh. If you haven't experienced that saving grace of God for yourself, you need to. It's an incredible thing and a wonderful thing. The problem with religion is it gets the cart before the horse. You maybe never heard that phrase before. That's the wrong order, right? The the horse pulls the cart, not the other way Around, But in religion, here's the order. You've got the grace of God, but that's not enough by itself. You've got to add your good works, and then you can be saved. The order in religion is grace and works and salvation. But the order in the Bible is grace, salvation, and then works. You can't get that order wrong. You can't get that order confused, but religion does. Now, what does Titus 2, verse number 14 say? That God has redeemed us to make us zealous of good works. What did Ephesians 2 say? We're not saved by works, but we are saved unto good works. The Bible says that the saving grace of God naturally leads to a life of good 
works. Eternal security does not contradict this. Okay? Look at 2 John chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 John chapter 1 and verse number 8. When you try to tell somebody that eternal life means eternal, when you try to explain that somebody who's saved can never not be saved, this is the argument, the objection that will be raised. Are you just saying? No, I'm not saying. You're saying. I'm not saying. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what I've experienced. And then 2 John chapter 1, this is a great verse, number 8, 2 John 1. And verse number 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Now, there is danger here that you can lose something. There is something in 2 John 1.8 that can be lost, but it's not your salvation. Because in 2 John 1.8, what you can lose is what you gain. What you can lose is what you earned. What you can lose is what you worked for. And it's not eternal life. You didn't work for that. It's not salvation. You didn't earn that. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Listen, listen. You're saved by the grace of God. That salvation is eternal. You can't lose that. But as a saved child of God, you can serve the Lord and obey the Lord and glorify the Lord and you can earn rewards. Pastor preached last Sunday night about the crowns in the New Testament, a crown of life and a crown of righteousness and a crown of glory and a crown of joy. And there's one, an incorruptible crown, five crowns in the New Testament that you can earn. But listen, you can also lose those. Okay? Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which ye have wrought. Listen, your salvation doesn't fit that description. Your rewards do. You can earn those, you can lose them, but you can't lose your salvation. And here's why. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That's in the Old Testament right after Proverbs, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. If you find Song of Solomon, you went too far. Hasten back to... The prior book, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14. Song of Solomon's inspired scripture, but it can get awkward. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Did, did God, is God the one who wrought your salvation? Is God the one who did what was necessary for your salvation to be complete? Is God the one who saved you? Is Jesus the one who died on the cross? Is he the one who paid for your sin? Is salvation about your work or his work? If it's what God did, then how long does it last according to Ecclesiastes 3.14? It lasts for. Ever. Look at this. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. You can't add to your salvation. You can't detract from your salvation. It's a complete package. Bought and paid for with the blood of the precious blood of God's dear son. And it's eternal. The gift of God is eternal life. If God does it, 
It lasts forever. God doeth it that men should fear before him. You can't lose salvation because you didn't earn it. Praise the Lord. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Not only did Jesus do everything necessary for us to get saved, he's the one who's taken upon himself the responsibility for keeping us saved. There are some people who teach that you get saved by trusting Jesus Christ, but then you've got to stay saved by living like a Christian and acting like a Christian and not um, not committing a certain list of sins that's very um, ambiguous and undefined because the Bible never gives the list because it doesn't exist. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, these are some verses that show that we are kept saved, not by our performance in the Christian life, not by our faithful Bible reading and prayer and church attendance. And all of those things are good and necessary and important, but that's not what keeps us saved. What keeps us saved is Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. This is Paul the Apostle. Listen, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. Preached the gospel all over the known world. Established churches in town after town after town after town. Wrote half of the New Testament. Was imprisoned and then martyred for the faith. Great Christian who kept Paul saved. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul said, I'm not able to keep myself saved, but that's okay because I'm not the one responsible for keeping myself saved. I am safe in the hand of Jesus Christ. And that's what gave him confidence and hope and assurance. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 5. The Bible says, 1 Peter 1, 5, Who are kept by the power of God. It doesn't say you're kept by your good works. It doesn't say you're kept by not falling into horrible sin or immorality. And that's not an excuse to fall into horrible sin and immorality. That'll, that'll ruin, destroy your life, and, and, it'll, and it'll heap shame upon the name of Jesus Christ. But that's not how you're kept. You're kept by the power of God through faith and a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 24, Hebrews 7 and verse 24. Some, some scriptures and some arguments to have ready to give to those who think that you've got to do something to stay saved or you've got to do something to get saved. That eternal life is a life that doesn't last so long as you mess it up. You can't mess it up. It's a good thing. If, if you could lose your salvation, I would lose my salvation daily. Hebrews 7, verse 24. But this man, because he continueth ever, speaking of Christ, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come in a guide by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. My salvation is not dependent on my life. It's dependent on Christ's life, and his priesthood is unchanging. My salvation is not dependent on my prayers. It's dependent upon 
his prayers, and he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Some more verses on eternal security. John 10 and verse 27. John 10 and verse 27. The Bible's a big book. We can't understand uh, all of it. Nobody will ever completely master it. But, but there are statements and verses that are so clear it would be impossible to misinterpret unless you do it on purpose. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Listen, verse 28. If you know the good shepherd, the good shepherd said that you will never perish. Now, either the Bible means what it says or it doesn't. It's, it's like Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible says not of works. What else could that possibly mean? It's like when the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness. What else could that possibly mean? How could you possibly misunderstand that to mean anything other than you can't do anything to save yourself? And same with John 10, verse 28, when Jesus said, those who know him will never perish. Listen, never means never. And it can't mean anything else. And if you're saved by the grace of God, there is zero chance you're going to hell. Jesus already paid for your sin. It doesn't have to be paid for twice. It's impossible for those who are saved to perish. Now come to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. This is a difficult passage, I'll tell you before we even read it. John chapter 10. I mean, so simple, so plain, so clear. Hebrews 6 is not necessarily that way. Hebrews 6 is a passage that people who teach that you can lose your salvation use to try to put that into the Bible. Because you could read this passage in a certain way as to come away with that idea if you tried. The the passage is not proof that you can lose your salvation, but if it were, let's just assume for a moment, let's just... Imagine for a moment that what this passage says is that you can lose your salvation. If that is what it says, it's not what it says, but if that is what it says, it also says that you can never get it back. Pay attention as we read the verses. Hebrews 6, verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That's the whole theme of the book of Hebrews, going on to perfection, continuing in the Christian life, not turning back, not quitting, not giving up, not falling astray, not being turned aside. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible... For those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Okay? Now, so, 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 so what this passage is used to say is that 
These people, they, they were saved, but they fell away. So they're not saved anymore. Okay? The passage is not about people who were saved and aren't saved anymore. It's about people who had the opportunity to be saved and rejected it. But, but let's just pretend. Let's just pretend the passage is about people who got saved and fell away and lost their salvation. Did you see what it really did clearly say? If that's the case, it is impossible, the Bible says, to renew them again to repentance. Verse 6. If you could lose your salvation, you could never get it back. Hebrews 10.26 says the same thing. And listen, this makes sense if you understand the nature of biblical salvation. Listen, listen carefully. Biblical salvation is deliverance from the penalty of sin because Jesus died as our substitute. He took the punishment. He paid the price. He bore the penalty himself for our sin. He, he satisfied the wrath of God. Okay? That's the basis of our salvation. What Jesus did about our sin. Well, if you had the salvation that Jesus paid when he died for, and then you lost it, how are you going to get it back? Listen, he's not coming to die again. If salvation is based on what Jesus did, and then you get it and you lose it, there's no way to get it back because he died one time. And if that wasn't good enough to keep you saved, if that wasn't enough to save you fully and finally and completely and eternally, then what are you going to do in addition to that? If that's what saved you and then you got saved and then you weren't saved, it wasn't good enough the first time. So how are you going to get saved again? You're not. The weird thing is that people who teach you can lose your salvation also have some kind of method for you to regain it. And that's, that, that concept is entirely unbiblical. What it demonstrates is a, a, a complete lack of understanding of the biblical nature of salvation. If you can earn it, you can never get it back because Jesus isn't going to die again. Okay? Come to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Bible says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from, say the word, all sin. Thank you, all three of you. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's an important word. It's a little word, but it's a big word, right? Not some sins. Not the sins you had committed up until the time that you trusted Christ as Savior. Listen, think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, that was over 2,000, that was somewhere around 2,000 years ago. I had not committed any sins yet. All of my sins were in the future. The sins that I would commit before I trusted Jesus Christ, they were in the future when Jesus died for them. The sins that I would commit after I trusted Jesus Christ. They were in the future when Jesus died for them, just like the sins I committed before I got saved. You understand? 
every sin that I would commit and will commit in the rest of my lifetime was paid for by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And listen, judicially speaking, judicially speaking, in the eyes of God, from the record books of heaven, all of them were dealt with. All of them were forgiven. All of them were expunged the moment that I trusted Jesus Christ because the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin. Not just some, not just part, not just the sins before salvation, cleansed us from all sin. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. It's a great chapter on the biblical doctrine of imputation. That is God taking something and applying it to your account. Imputation. Romans chapter 4. Look at verse... Well, read verse 4. The Bible says, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. We talked about that last time. The, the definition of grace, what grace is. Verse 5, But him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. This great transaction that takes place. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. God takes Christ's righteousness and applies that to your account. You are counted righteous because you've trusted in the Son of God who is righteous. Verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. This is quotation from Psalm 32 is the way it's always worked. Nobody has ever been able to do enough for God to count them righteous, but if they'll trust him, he will count them righteous. But look at what else it said. Not only does God impute his righteousness to us, look at what he does not do, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Think about that. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So when God gave me Christ's righteousness, that, that was not the end of imputation. Here's the second part of imputation. God no longer counts my sins against me so far as eternity is concerned. Listen, my sins have temporal consequences. My sins are going to wreck and ruin and destroy my life and my relationships. My sin is it, it, going to be, bring pain and suffering and heartache and trouble into my life. I'm going to lose reward. I'm going to lose opportunity to serve God. I'm, sin is bad and to be avoided. But listen, listen, as far as your salvation is concerned, as far as your righteous standing in the eyes of God is concerned, as far as your judicial position before the judge of the universe, when you get saved, God does not impute sin to you anymore. It was all taken care of by the sacrifice made by God's Son on the cross. Blessed is the man. That's a blessing. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Follow that train of thought into chapter 5, verse 13. The Bible says, For under the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That statement is made in this context. There was a time in your life when you were a sinner because you were born a sinner, 
but you weren't accountable for that sin because you had no knowledge or understanding of the law of God. When you sinned as a baby, as an infant, as a toddler, you did so innocently. And, 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 and it was not imputed to you, right? You, you were acting out of your nature. But there came a point in time in your life when you had clear understanding that you were violating and transgressing the law of God. And guess what? You did it anyway. You willfully sinned, you accountably sinned, and then that sin was imputed to you, counted against you. You needed to be saved. Okay? Sin is not imputed when there is no law. That, that principle then carried into the Christian life. How does that work? Romans 7, verse number 1. Romans 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren... For I speak to them and know the law, how the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. For a woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. Husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. God's given this marriage illustration. Listen, marriage is a covenant that lasts forever. God takes those vows seriously. A, a human court might, uh, might award a divorce paper, but God doesn't recognize that. He said, you were bound by the law to the one that you gave your heart to until that person is dead. It's the way that God thinks about it. And here's the illustration, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, so before we got saved, we were subject to the law of God, condemned by the law of God, our sin was imputed because we understood what that law was and we violated it, we transgressed it, we broke it. But when we got saved, God changed that relationship. We became dead to the law. The law was dead for us. We are not under the law, Romans 6. We are under grace, Romans 6. What does that mean? Sin is not imputed when there is no Law. Listen, if you're saved, you can never lose your salvation because judiciously, judicially speaking, God does not count your sin against you. It can't change the fact that you're his child. Psalm 130 and verse number 3. We will turn there and read that and be done. Psalm 130 and verse number 3. Free from the law doesn't mean we just get to live any way we want to. It means there is no grounds on which we can be judged and condemned because we are no longer legally subject to the law that brought us to Christ. That law has no jurisdiction over us because of our standing and position. Psalm 130, verse number 3. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I'm glad my sin is not imputed. That's what it means to be justified. We are declared righteous in the eyes of the judge. On a practical level, we have to deal with our sins and we, we've got to reap what we sow and sin's going to cause problems in your life even if you're saved, just like sin will cause problems in your life if you're unsaved, but your sin can't send you to hell because Jesus paid for that, took care of that. 
when he died on the cross. So let's review. Number one, eternal security is the only way you can know you have eternal life. Two, thinking God's grace means you can live any way you want only proves you haven't experienced the saving grace of God. Three, we can't lose rewards, or we can lose rewards because they're based on our works, but we can't lose salvation because it's based on Christ's work. Five, we are kept by the power of God. Six, if you could lose your salvation, you could never get it back. Jesus is not going to die again. And then you can't lose your salvation because as a child of God, your sin cannot be imputed unto you. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for so great salvation. Lord, help us to be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh us the reason, hope that's in us with meekness and with fear. Uh, God, help us to rejoice in the gift you've given of eternal life. And help us, Lord, to, to be your witnesses to a lost and dying world. Bless now in the preaching hour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.